Welcome to Defenders, the teaching class of Dr. William Lane Craig. Today, the Doctrine of Christ, Part 33. For more information and resources from Dr. Craig, go to reasonablefaith.org. Last time we looked at the initial interpretation of the biblical data concerning the resurrection of Jesus, and we saw that the church fathers held that the resurrection of Jesus from the dead was a literal event. And this understanding of Jesus' resurrection persisted for over a millennium and a half until the dawning of the age of modernity in 17th century Europe with the so-called Enlightenment. The Enlightenment refers to this political and intellectual movement within European culture in the uh, 17th and 18th century in which the old order, uh, what one called the Ancien Regime, the old order, was thrown off in the name of human autonomy and human reason. And there were two constituent institutions of the Ancien Regime in particular that were uh, thrown over with modernity. The first was the monarchy. With the Enlightenment, you have the development of modern democratic states, and certainly the most successful of these Enlightenment political projects was the United States of America, which is a product of the uh, throwing off of the shackles of the monarchy in the favor of democratic systems of government. And even in those institutions that continued to have a monarch, the monarch was basically stripped of all significant power and became a mere figurehead of the government. The other institution which was closely associated with the monarchy in the Ancien Regime was the church. The church and the monarchy oppressed people, stifled human autonomy and human reason in the name of authority. And so both the monarchy and the church were cast off in the Enlightenment. You see this most poignantly represented in the French Revolution. During the French Revolution in which the nobility were sent to the guillotine, there was a parade held in Paris in which an actress was paraded through the streets of the city as representative of reason, Lady Reason. And she was escorted to the Cathedral of Notre Dame and there enthroned on the altar of the Cathedral of Notre Dame, representing the, as it were, deification of human reason in the place of God. And with the Enlightenment then came skepticism about the truth of Christianity and in particular with respect to the resurrection of Jesus. The Enlightenment theorists were not atheists for the most part. Rather, they were what is called deists. They held to deism. Deism believed in the god of natural theology a creator and designer of the universe, a source of moral values and moral obligations for human society, 
But the deists denied that this creator god of nature revealed himself in any special way to human beings. So there was no special revelation of this god of the universe uh, who could be known only through human reason. There were no special inspired scriptures, no miracles, no prophecies, no dreams that would uh, allow us to have a special knowledge of this uh, creator of the universe. A seminal figure in the rise of skepticism concerning the resurrection of Jesus was Hermann Samuel Reimarus, who was a professor of Oriental languages in Hamburg, Germany. Reimarus struggled privately with gnawing doubts about the truth of the biblical revelation, and from around 1730 to 1768 he wrote down these thoughts and eventually his musings evolved into a massive 4,000 page critique of the Bible. Reimarus uh, accepted a deistic natural religion and denied miracles. He never published his opinions, but he only showed this manuscript to a few close friends and to two of his children. Well, after Reimarus died, his daughter gave a copy of the manuscript to Gotthold Lessing, who was the librarian at a little German town called Wolfenbüttel. And in 1774, Lessing began to publish excerpts of this manuscript of Reimarus. He passed them off as fragments of an anonymous author which he had found in the archives of the library. In 1777, he published Reimarus's attack on the historicity of Jesus' resurrection, and this threw German orthodoxy into an uproar. According to Reimarus, Jesus claimed only to have been an earthly messiah. He was just another messianic pretender. And since he failed to establish his messianic reign, he was executed by the Romans. But the disciples stole Jesus' corpse and spread the story that he had been risen from the dead. Um, they touted him as a spiritual messiah, not an earthly messiah, so that they could continue the easy life of preaching that they had enjoyed with Jesus during his lifetime. Now, Reimarus realized that in order to maintain this uh, theory, which I call the conspiracy theory, uh, he had to refute the evidence for the historicity of the resurrection. And in Reimarus's thinking, the evidence for the resurrection consisted of basically three facts. Number one, the witness of the guard at the tomb. The witness of the guard at the tomb in Matthew's Gospel. Number two was the witness of the apostles themselves. They said that Jesus was risen from the dead and that they had seen him alive. 
And then thirdly, the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. Jesus' resurrection fulfilled the prophecies in the Old Testament that he would be raised from the dead. And Lymaros rejected all three of these. Against the testimony of the guard, Lymaros argued that the story told by Matthew is improbable in itself, and besides that, it's full of contradictions, and so cannot be historical. He held it to be um, a story that Matthew had invented. Matthew basically made up the story of the guard at the tomb, and the other evangelists rejected this fiction, and that's why it's not included in the other Gospels. As for the testimony of the apostles, Rymaros capitalizes on the inconsistencies and the contradictions in the resurrection narratives. But if this were not enough, there is moreover the uh, overriding problem of the privacy of Jesus' resurrection appearances. The apostles' testimony, he said, is suspect because they are the only ones who saw Jesus risen from the dead. Um, and therefore, this makes it likely that they're just making this up. Finally, as to the Old Testament prophecies, he says that the Old Testament passages in question are so ambiguous that it is strained to interpret them to be prophecies of Jesus' resurrection. Uh, in any case, the whole procedure of the proof from prophecy begs the question because it assumes that Jesus was in fact raised from the dead and so did fulfill the prophecies. And this Lymaros denies. Um, so Lymaros concludes by summarizing his case in this way. The, these are his own words, and I quote, Number one, the guard story is very doubtful and unconfirmed, and it is very probable that the disciples came by night stole the corpse, and said afterwards Jesus had arisen. Two, the disciples' testimony is both inconsistent and contradictory. And three, the prophecies appealed to are irrelevant, falsely interpreted, and question-begging. So in Imaros' view, Christianity is quite simply a fraud. It is a lie perpetrated by these original disciples um, in order for them to co continue the life they had enjoyed with Jesus. Now, I'm sure that immediately objections are popping into your minds to Rymaros' conspiracy theory, but I don't want to take those yet. What I want to ask is if there is any comprehension type question at this point. We haven't yet come to the point of critique or assessment. Before we do that, we simply want to survey the history of various hypotheses about the resurrection of Jesus. And the conspiracy hypothesis is the first uh, that would uh, deny the literal nature of Jesus' resurrection. Any question of a well, Actually, on, on the conspiracy theory, what was the uh, basis for that? Was it uh, higher criticism, or what's the... What, what basis is he using? Yes. Rymaros is generally regarded as one of the forerunners of higher biblical criticism that eventually grew into German critical studies of the, the Old and New Testament. 
Reimaros is still a pretty unsophisticated um, interpreter of Scripture, but you can see his critical faculties at work, for example, in his treatment of the guard story in Matthew, saying that it, it's uh, found only in Matthew, it's probably a legend or an invention made up by Matthew, a fiction rather, and that it is full of contradictions. So this is the kind of incipient um, biblical criticism that during the following uh, century would become very, very forceful in Germany. Yes, Cash. So was Remaris really the first to bring forth this kind of a conspiracy theory, or did he just kind of bring uh, perfect it? So far as I know, he is the first to develop this in modern times. It, of course, harks back to the original Jewish response right. to the disciples' proclamation, he is risen from the dead. You remember Matthew says that at the time of his writing, this story has been spread among Jews to this day, namely the disciples came by night and stole him away. So this conspiracy theory was actually the very first that Matthew himself had to confront, but then it was eclipsed until the late 18th century when Rimaros revived it. It seems to me almost more surprising that it took almost 1,700 years for someone to really lay this out versus just the kind of yes. rumors that well, I, are dealt I with in the Well, I think, again, that this is the product of the Enlightenment. You see, Cash, when you right. think that prior to the Enlightenment, what the church and the state taught was authoritative, and people took that at face value, uh, but then beginning with the Enlightenment, this critical faculty was awakened, and they began to question this authority. Well, uh, a second theory then that followed Reimaros' conspiracy theory was what is called the apparent death theory. Here I need to say an explanatory word about the so-called Life of Jesus movement. During the late 18th and early 19th centuries, post-Enlightenment European theology embarked upon what has been called a quest of the historical Jesus in order to try to excavate the historical person behind the mythical, legendary image of Jesus that is portrayed in the Gospels. The chief effort of this quest was to write a life of Jesus as it supposedly really happened without the supernatural accretions uh, that are found in the Gospels. And one after another, these various lives of Jesus appeared uh, during these centuries, each author thinking to have finally uncovered the true historical Jesus behind the mask of the Jesus in the Gospels. And it's been rightly said uh, by contemporary scholars that each of these authors looked down the long well of history and saw his own face reflected at the bottom. Uh, these historical Jesuses tended to be mirror images of the authors themselves uh, as they attempted to write a biography of Jesus. Now, much of the early life of Jesus movement 
was spent trying to provide natural explanations for Jesus' miracles and resurrection. Since miracles are impossible, there must be some way to explain these events that take place in the Gospel in a non-miraculous way. The high watermark of this natural explanation school came with the work of Heinrich Paulus in his book Das Leben Jesu or The Life of Jesus, 1828. In this biography Paulus develops all sorts of ingenious and creative ways of explaining away the Gospel miracles while still accepting the fundamental historicity of the account. For example, the feeding of the 5,000 is explained by saying that there was a cave near to where Jesus was standing in which there was a cache of bread preserved by the disciples and they would hand the bread out to uh, Jesus as he distributed it to the crowd so that everyone could be fed. Again, Jesus walking on the water on the Sea of Galilee was explained by there being a wooden platform floating just below the surface of the water so that as Jesus walked on the platform he appeared to walk on the water itself. Now when it came to the resurrection of Jesus, Paulus defended the view that Jesus was not in fact completely dead when he was taken down from the cross. Rather he was taken down alive, laid in the tomb where he revived and then escaped to convince the disciples that he had risen from the dead. Rymarus's conspiracy theory was rejected as an explanation of the resurrection in light of the obvious sincerity of the disciples. Uh, it's clear that the disciples obviously believed in Jesus' resurrection from the dead and therefore a conspiracy theory was simply implausible. Instead, he adopted the apparent death theory in order to explain how the disciples might sincerely have believed Jesus was risen from the dead even though this was a purely natural event. And this apparent death theory then enjoyed great popularity among the so-called rationalists uh, in early 18th century Germany. Even uh, Friedrich Schleiermacher, whom we've mentioned before, the so-called father of modern theology, adopted this explanation of the resurrection. A fact that I find so sobering that the father of modern theology should have believed in this apparent death theory with respect to the resurrection of Jesus. Any comments or questions of a comprehension nature on the apparent death hypothesis? Don. I'll ask it because it goes back to the last issue you raised, which is the Roman guards at the tomb. It seems to me anybody who knows anything about the Romans knows they didn't take lightly the fact that a Roman soldier didn't do what he was told to do. And if they were told to guard that tomb and it was sealed by the Roman government, there should have been a few dead guards around. All and right, there now, weren't. Now you're raising criticisms here, yeah. which I'm asked not to do, to defer to later. But the point is helpful because you see, Don, 
This would be an argument that Reimarus would use. Far from supporting the historicity of the guard, this is an argument against the guard's historicity. Roman guards would never agree to spread a story for which they could be executed. They would be derelict in their duty. So this and many others would be the, precisely the sort of argument that Reimarus would appeal to to say there never was a Roman guard. This is made up by Matthew. Uh, if there were a Roman guard, they would never do what this story says they agreed to do. So this illustrates, I think, nicely precisely the sort of arguments that Reimarus advanced against the guard story. Well, is there historical accounts of the guards being placed? All we have is Matthew. Remember our biblical survey? We, we saw that only Matthew relates the story of the guard at the tomb. I did point out significantly that in John's Gospel there is a Roman guard involved in the arrest of Jesus, which I think is highly significant. Uh, there were apparently Roman soldiers that had been seconded to the Jewish authorities, and they were involved in the, the arrest at the Garden of Gethsemane. But apart from that, there isn't any reference to the guard until you get to the Gospel of Peter, which is an apocryphal gospel 150 years or more later than uh, Christ, uh, in which you have the guard story also told. But that Gospel of Peter looks to be just an amalgam of the four Gospels. The Gospel of Peter knows the four Gospels, and so this doesn't appear to be an independent source for the historicity of the guard. Yes, Ben? Uh, it seems like these guys kind of are handpicking what they decide to believe from the gospel stories and what they don't. So in general, I was curious, their view of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, whatever, are they, do they find them generally liable, but then if they, then the, they just don't believe certain parts of it, but they do find them generally to be historically reliable, and then more specifically, do they, uh, does Paulus believe in the... Um, uh, spear in the side rather than breaking of the legs because obviously they speared him in the side because Jesus was already dead, therefore they didn't yeah. um, right, crush his legs. Now, does he believe in that historical event from the Gospels? The, as we saw, people like Paulus in this natural explanation school tended to believe in the historicity of the Gospels. They, they would grant that these events actually happened. But they would provide natural explanations For to any explain them away. Parts. So I think with regard to the spear thrust, as I recall, uh, Paulus or other advocates of the apparent death theory will say this wasn't a plunge into the heart of the spear. It was just a little probe, a little pick to see if he twitched and was still alive. Um, and therefore, this wouldn't have been a fatal wound uh, to Jesus. He could still be alive even after the, the spear uh, probe. Okay, so it'd be historical. So generally, they that that's the funny thing about these early biblical critics that James mentioned, as we'll see when we get to Strauss. Later authors will just deny the historicity of these things. They'll just say they never happened. But at this point, in this early biblical criticism, there is a tendency to grant the historicity of the narratives, but to denude them 
of any supernatural or miraculous quality. Yes, question over here. Um, so are you saying Paulus's belief was that uh, Jesus was, he was just a human, that he fooled the disciples, or is he saying that the disciples kind of, well, with you said, walking on the water, the board being placed under the water. So are you saying this is something that the disciples tried actively to help out to go along with Jesus and to make this grand charade? That would seem to be implied. And in that sense, it still suffers from the implausibility of the conspiracy theory. It turns Jesus into a charlatan and a liar and and a fake, which is surely incompatible with what we know about his moral character and and teaching. So you do have a rather sinister or cynical view of Jesus and the disciples, even in the apparent death theory, as well as in Rymaris' conspiracy theory. In fact, some of these apparent death theories, not Paulus's, but some of them, were actually, I think, versions of the conspiracy theory. They would say things like this. There was a secret society that included people like Jesus, or Joseph of Arimathea uh, and Nicodemus, and they conspired with Luke, the physician, to administer to Jesus a potion that would make him look dead uh, until then they could revive him in the tomb and bring him back to life. Uh, And the whole thing was really this elaborate conspiracy uh, that involved all of these different biblical figures. the, The imagination just ran wild with some of these theorists. Thank you. Yes. Hi, Dr. Craig. Um, you mentioned that uh, Jesus' miracles were explained away, or tried to be explained away. And I'm assuming that at that time they probably tried to tap sciences at that time and, and uh, explain it through naturalistic causes. And with the advancement of science today, and uh, especially in the area of forensics and microbiology, they didn't have knowledge at that particular time. Um, do they still try to explain through these naturalistic causes the miracles that Jesus created? Or on the other hand, have they actually proved that they existed? Uh-huh. This is actually a very good question. What you're asking me to do here now is leap 200 years forward to the contemporary scene. And what you might be surprised to learn is that it is generally acknowledged today that the miracle accounts uh, of Jesus are historical, that Jesus was a faith healer and an exorcist, um, and that these accounts are reliable. The miracle stories occupy such a broad range of sources in the Gospels that they can't just be dismissed as legendary accretions. But whether they were miraculous or not would be a judgment that the secular historian would say he cannot make. He's not in a position to say that these were genuine miracles or not. So there still tends to be this sort of deistic or naturalistic approach to the narratives, even though contemporary scholarship has become much more sympathetic to the miracles of Jesus than, say, 20th century scholarship was. Cody. You mentioned how some of them, you know, that that possible theory about somebody gave Jesus like a potion or something that made him appear dead. What was their actual evidence for that? Like, did something even exist back (laughs) then in the first century? There there isn't any evidence for any of this stuff. That's that's what's so funny about it. It's totally ad hoc. Uh, That is to say, it's it's just uh, hypotheses 
that are made up without any evidence for them. So, as I say, Luke, the physician, oh, he was a doctor. He must have known about potions and, and things of that sort. So Luke, the physician, was the one who administered this potion. Joseph of Arimathea, he was on the Sanhedrin. He was a council figure and responsible for the burial. So he must have been in on the plot, too. And they drag in the Essenes as well. They say that these, the, the Essenes were actually involved in this. I mean, it, it is... It is imagination run wild uh, when you get to these theories. And that's probably why none of these lives of Jesus carried conviction. As I say, one after another appeared in succession, each author claiming to have discovered the real Jesus of history. Well, that brings us then to the mythology theory of David Friedrich Strauss. Strauss wrote a book called Das Leben Jesu kritisch bearbeitet in 1835, the life of Jesus critically examined. And this book sounded the death knell for the natural explanation school of Paulus and others. What Strauss saw clearly was that neither the conspiracy theory nor the apparent death theory was plausible. And so he sought a third alternative in mythological explanations. According to this view, the miraculous events of the Gospels never happened, and the Gospel accounts of them are the result of a long process of legendary accretion and religious imagination. And that will be the theory that we'll examine uh, when we meet next time. So let's close now with a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, as we survey these obsolete and defunct theories to explain away the resurrection of Jesus, we're mindful of how the evidence for Jesus' resurrection has withstood such a torrent of criticism all of these centuries. And we pray, Lord, as we continue our survey of this material and a critical assessment of it, that our faith um, in the truth of his resurrection from the dead will be strengthened and defended. In his name we pray. Amen. The copyright for the preceding material is held by Dr. William Lane Craig. For more, go to reasonablefaith.org.